So you know, I, I don't do the j- the voice as good as Jay though, but the the butt G man voice. But G man, you don't understand. We have a back order situation. We've got to get that. The service advisor's forcing us to get the part. G man, is that good? That's not bad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but G man, there you See, that's, go. That's how you got to do it, man. You got you got to get it right. But G man, the high octave. I think is that what it is? The falsetto, yeah. Okay, so there's a whole litany of reasons why you're going to go get a part. And and all of them are probably valid. We want to feed the service department. Yeah, there's a recall thing and there's a thing and the thing. There's always a thing. But everybody's got those. So your numbers should be relative to everybody else, not high. You shouldn't be going to get things all the time. And if you don't investigate why that's happening, it's going to keep happening. And those are the most expensive parts you are ever going to get. Hey, I'm Coach Jay. I'm the G-Man. We've built this podcast for the hardworking men and women of the automotive community. Some of you will listen and be entertained. Others will listen and apply. Our purpose is to provide both. Welcome to the Hard Shop Life. Welcome back to Hard Shop Life with your boy. (laughs) Coach Jay and the... G-Man. Well, I, had a, I wanted the pregnant pause. There's a little pregnant Dude, pause in there yeah. for dramatic effect. First of all, I want to let everybody- Try that again? Want to run, run that again? Again? Let's see. I don't know. We're practicing. We practice. No, we're not Dude, practicing. no, we're done. We're right, experts we'll now, on. Dude, come we're on. We're on. trending. So, <laughs> so uh, you know- You sound old, bro. I'm just going to say, when you say trending, you sound really old. What do you mean? It just It's just old. It's like, oh, we're trending. I don't know if they say that nowadays. I don't, I don't know. Who's got I, younger I, kids uh, in here? I anyway, do. we got to, okay, first of all, they say trending, listen, 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 first of all, no. I'm thankful that I'm not tied up yet and beaten up yet. I'm in a room full of parts managers. <laughs> this is very scary. Not to mention the fact that I had to tell all of them to be quiet for half a second so we can like, you know, equalize. The the, yeah, like exactly. Right. Um, these guys are just, a, you know, now I understand why at every single convention they were completely separated. Yep. And it's like parts people go this way and you're in a big, huge auditorium with all the sound deadening stuff because you guys were just going to scream at each other about (laughs) screaming about other people. So that makes perfect sense to me now. So uh, today's episode is all about parts. Uh, We got a lot of feedback, G-Man, a lot of feedback about our SOP episode. So I said, dude, we got to call in, you know, the the troops, uh, go with the experts, talk to some some of the best of the best in the business. So we called some friends back into the mold, some experts in their in their uh, field, and they're here with us. So I'm I'm very nervous and excited at the same time because I'm about to get schooled on some stuff. But listen, I'm coming here to represent my service team. I'm here to represent all the advisors, all the BDC members, all the service managers, directors, and technicians. I'm here to represent you guys. So I'm doing this for you. Okay. Remember, they appreciate it, by the way. They better appreciate we'll it. Some fan I, I'm mail. in a room of four. They'll of you say thank you. Scary. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to talk about, I guess we're, we're talking about the deadly sins of, of parts managing. Is that right? We're just, just uh, yeah, parts department, seven deadly sins is what we came up with. Now, we may have end up with more than seven, depending on how this conversation goes, but that's the goal. The goal is we have seven on the board. Okay. We're going to talk about those seven to maybe expand on those a little bit. Okay. And and none of the sins have anything to do with where the parts manager's office is. No, no. Oh, those okay. Because it's always I, in a dungeon. I'm going to run them. It's I'm going to run them real quick. And, and you know, you can send hate mail if we don't stay on topic. But number one, we're going to talk about special order parts. We have know, a whole episode on that. I know that's a whole, but we want to, we want to have a roundtable discussion about it. 
Number two, we're going to talk about bin locations, layout, um, numbering. We're going to talk about dead ends. And uh, that's an open loop for those of you who don't know what that means. We're going to talk about negative on hand. There was a whole debate, believe it or not, about negative on hand. I, who would have thought? I wouldn't have thought that. But we're going to talk about negative on hand. Oh, this is my um, favorite one. Wholesale pricing, which yeah, is which actually didn't come from any of us in this room. Uh, it, it, no, came it came from, from me. It came from me. You guys do us wrong. That's what happens. <laughs> we you, do you dirty. You sell, yeah, you do me dirty. I, Every single time. Every single time. You sell it to them. They sell it at list or they do their markup. And then I lose the sale. Really, I was a technician for a while. You realize that, right? I asked, wrote service for a minute. And I was a service. Anyways, we're moving on. Okay, next one. Next one. Organization, uh, um, clean, parts department, logistics, et cetera. So oh, is this general it, organization. Oh, so this is like don't put floor mats on top of like the heaters and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. That is where I see that. Don't long. put a, a a wire on a on a two by by four bin. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh and then final and, and certainly not least, and, and this is my probably number one, but we have as number seven, is gonna be emergency purchases. So that's the seven. I that's know the answer the to that. Have, have a have a hundred percent fill rate. You'll now have emergency purchases. It's that go. easy. It's easy. I mean, I don't even know why you have to talk about that. Simple. There's only eighty thousand SKUs. Actually, there's more than eighty thousand. How, how many SKUs? I remember. I remember when we were with BMW, Mike telling us this. So here's the deal. Uh, our special what? guest, Luis, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I've known Luis. Actually, I knew him on paper way back when I was on the East Coast with David Patterson. We'd always be like in competition, like there'd be like, oh, you know, the top three stores in the East Coast. And there's one particular store on the West Coast that was a BMW store that was like on the map. And it was East Bay BMW, which I was like, oh, yeah, well, who cares about those guys? But dude, the dude ran a solid, solid. Actually, John Hicks, who we talked to, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. John Hicks knows exactly who Luis was. Shit, little Luis, shout out to yeah, John. Huge shout out to John Hicks. You the man, bro. And uh, he mad respect for Luis. Didn't he? I don't know if you guys ever met Luis, but he had mad respect for you. He knows who you are. And then I got Craig, the man, the myth, the legend. This dude right here spends more time on the water. I think he's a fish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. He's got 10 boats. I, I mean, mean you seriously. Know, did, did you just buy a new one? Did you just buy a new one, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you bought another one, right? I what is it? A 52-footer or whatever no, now? It's no, a yacht? 23-footer. Yeah. So he towed somebody today, by the way. He was a little late this, this afternoon because he had to tow somebody mm -hmm. back to the marina. That's a that's a nice gesture, bro. And then the the man, the myth, the let my best friend, my G man, don't get upset, right? Mr. Don Valdez came in today. Special request for flew him all the way in here uh, from where, North. Where, where, I think he lives at the border of Oregon and, and uh, California. <laughs> Close. <laughs> it's almost Canada. <laughs> it is. It is. It feels like it some days and commute. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, he's here today because I wanted to have a special. We're going to have another episode after this uh, a couple weeks from now where we're going to talk about the dynamics of working with your parts manager. When a service manager and parts manager work hand in hand for a goal and to motivate and move people, we're going to talk about that. But I brought him in here because he's part of the mold. He, he knows and understands you guys. I don't understand you guys. I did my very best. I've been in the room with you guys for a long time, for several years, and you've taught me a lot. And so we're here to talk about parts. Um, if you hear any snoring noises, it's because I'm on the corner of the room passed out because you guys geek out about your part stuff. So just know that. But all my parts people are going to enjoy this episode. All right. And with that, shall we dig in? Sounds good. Sounds like <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun talking about parts right now. Yes. <laughs> let's go crazy. Okay. So let's talk about special order parts. So um, whose was this? Was this mine or? No, I think we all talked about how this is how 
it all starts with special order parts, right? Yep. Everybody, I mean, if, if you hire a consultant, this is kind of the one thing that they beat to your head. Yeah. Special order parts, special order parts. This is why Jair falls asleep is because we're talking about special. Order parts. Well, I think, I think being in that consultant realm, you know, it, for us, it's like, it's where all, all the problems start. Right. It's like if you're going to it's where obsolescence begins. I mean, almost all obsolescence is going to come out of special order parts. You got to be really especially with rim and uh, I mean, geez, SBA and they have a bunch of yeah, different parts. I out there parts. I that's managing SRD, I think. the bulk of your inventory. It's like it's hard to get it's hard to grow obsolescence without, you know, without special order parts. It's really that is the main it's it is. And also. It's the thing I think that guys get most confused about. Absolutely. No, but nobody has a process. They don't know what it causes. I mean, I, I would say out of the parts managers I've ever met, very few have a good understanding of, of the effects of this, right? They, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to tackle it. Uh, and, and it's just such an important part that I think it's, it's almost an art that that's been lost in our industry, mm-hmm. um, in, in the parts world. And, uh, you know, it, it deserves to get talked about because I think a lot of people talk about it, but they just don't really understand it and don't know where to go with it. So let's talk about where they go wrong. First of all. So I think part of where we go wrong is, and this is where Jair may have something to say with his service hat, but I think that we allow ourselves to be we're allowing that part of our inventory to be managed by the technicians in the shop because they're basically like, well, it could be one of four things. And so let's just get all four of them. I would agree with you on that for sure. Um, it's one of those things that do you really want to tell the technician, get me that one part? I mean, you have to pick one part out of the four. Yeah. And do we really want the customer to come back again and again because we're just shotgunning? So we kind of give a leeway to the technician, get those four parts. At least I know how that one of those, one of those fours should fix it. Would you agree? Well, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, of course, and I was a tech. And so there were times when you're just like, well, God, you know, what am I going to do? It's got to be one of these, right? I've got to get them both in. Um, The problem I think you run into is you have to have a really squeaky clean inventory that's running, you know, like a well-oiled machine to allow that to happen. Because if you don't, what ends up happening is those three extra parts or two extra parts, they, they exceed your ability to return. Now you're stuck with them and you own them. And a lot of these manufacturers, like they're, they're giving you the margins razor thin for error. You know, they don't even give you, I mean, uh, I know a couple brands right now that they don't even give you what you naturally accrue for obsolescence. Right. right. So we, we typically industry, you're going to, if you have a good stocking inventory, you got your phase in and phase out parameters going great. Your obsolescence will be obsolete by at least 3% a month, right? right. You're just going to lose stuff. And these manufacturers are getting tough and tough. And then there's people doing two, 1%. Some of them don't even let you have returns. So mm-hmm. it, it's that, that means that you can't have a mistake like what you're saying, right? right. You can't, you don't have the luxury of ordering all these parts uh, you know, you, you got to have some creative phase in phase out processes and, and some strategies to make sure you don't get stuck with it. Yeah. And so you go further up the food chain and it's like, you've got to have your phase out really is what we're talking about. Like you got to have a, a pretty strict phase in first of all, cause you don't want to take a whole lot of risks cause you don't have return well, and your phase out's got to be really tight. It's got to start really early because you're better off if you can sell out of that part than if you have to return it because you just can't return it. 
Well, I, I want to jump in on that. I think it depends on manufacturer too. I mean, you, you brought up the different like rim and all that. I, I think a lot of parts managers miss out maybe on opportunities to manipulate their system to benefit them. Let's not use parts. manipulate. We, uh, okay. We don't, we don't manipulate. Well, <laughs> there's no manipulation. <laughs> okay. I, let, me, let me try. We that. maximize. We strategize. We strategize. But I mean, one of them, I, we just talked about that technician wanting to order four parts, right? I mean, if you posted those as lost sales, because once again, that is an, an option, right? That this guy asked for it. But now I said, no, I'm not going to order that. You just put a demand in your system. Would you agree? Yep. And that demand, depending on the manufacturer, I can tell you right now, the brand I work for, they use parts. I two demands. You're, you're seeing that thing. It's got, it's on its way. It's on its way. And two demands in like a month. No, two demands in, in over 12 months. Oh, okay. So, I mean, two months of demand. Yeah. Over 12 two, months. Okay, pretty much. And so that, that demand, you know, is going to come by posting lost sales or by what special ordering the part. Correct. Um, and like I said, I've I've personally found ways to kind of manipulate that way uh, instead of strategize. having strategize. Strategize. <laughs> I found a creative yeah, strategy, creative strategy in order to maximize my inventory dollars. <laughs> and I think that's where a lot of people miss out. I mean, we talk about special order process. We, you know, it it goes into all these seven deadly sins. Would you agree? Yeah. I think that's I mean, you know, and I, one of the things we're gonna probably refer back to it, but there is a lot of that. There's a lot of whatever we're going to talk about. Maybe bin locations, not one, but um, uh, your special well, it process. Does it, start. It'll, it'll surprise you. Yeah. You know, bin locations will be because if if you're like Greg or some of the other guys that I you know goof around and we we, we nerd out is if if you can pull the data and and you have a good strategy for bin locations, mm -hmm. uh, the things that you can do by saying, hey, show me the parts that are this size or this price or this color or this shape. Um, that are on this part, you can now break it down to such a minor level to to strategize, uh, not manipulate, not manipulate, <laughs> and take advantage of. Uh, and it's and it's another thing; it's a visual, right? If you have these good bin locations and they're set in, in good spots, not only can you you should be asking your computer, right? You should never be looking at bins to find out you know what the proper stocking okay. levels are. So let's talk about. Go ahead. So. Service guy wants to jump in here. I do. Well, Hold I, on, I got the Hold mic on. cut. I'll cut it. Really. Stop. I, so here's my question. Here's my question. Because I, I think it, it rolls into the second, which is the which has been locations, right? So here's the deal. Best practice. And I just want to know because I don't know. I'm the dumb guy, right? I'm the service guy. Okay. Is it, and I've seen it both ways. Do you separate, do you have a separate shelf location for all your SOPs? Or do you inject your SOPs into their proper bins, like they're your stock stuff, and then just pull them whenever they come oh, that's in? That's a brilliant question because that's what I was just about to ask. So do we? So let. So you understand the question? Yes, I do. Okay, you guys so, answer. So, that. so I'll start. Yes, you do, and that that's actually one of my pet peeves slash uh, sins, I guess, kind of side sins, is Gracias. if you have a parts department and your special order bin is uh a b c d e f g right and that's how you track your special orders you already have a problem i'm, I'm telling you that right now can, can we back up one sure. we, we always talk about special order processes and bins and all that stuff we never talked about the paper the old paper handwritten oh. special order process that's your number one 
Yes, that that's definitely. So what uh, what Greg is talking about? So uh, service managers and 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 uh, if your parts department uses any type of Rolodex to find out if your part is in stock, you have a problem. <laughs> you have a major problem. Or carbon carbon copied paper. Carbon copied paper. Let me if, check. Hold on, I got a yellow pad. <laughs> Let me check my yellow pad. And if you have two Rolodexes, <laughs> you you have a major, major it's problem. twice as so big. If you have any type of special order card and, and you do, you're not using the computer system, uh, you have a problem. You need to. Well, remember when we went into that Chevy store, he was using a binder. Exactly. Remember that? Yeah. Exactly. And it goes back to what we're, we're talking about, the bin locations for special order parts. Yes, we Jair, to answer your question, I also have a separate location for my special order parts they are bin though and they're not a b c d e but so they don't but they don't live in the general population they do not live in the general and and depending on the system what we will do if your system allows you to put comments in or under the sor in the computer system we will label it under that bin so when you look up jair's parts you can look in the comment field and see it lives in bin a o one b or AO1C. So are, are we all in agreement? Are you in agreement on that? I'm absolutely in agreement. I mean, they have to be separate and they I, have to be. I'm definitely in agreement. Okay. So, so then that really is where, where parts managers go wrong. The second thing I'd say that happens to them is they take the part and rather than having it in a special order area or zone, it just goes into gen pop and lives and mingles amongst all the other parts and kind of gets lost out of sight, out of mind. So, I mean, I, again, stupid question, service guy. But I'm looking outside the box here. If you're going to have a particular place for your SOPs, right? And then you're going to then inject it into their bin locations, right? Put it back into general population. Is that something that's controlled by time? Like, is that something like 30 days, look into this. You're going to start moving these at 45 days. They're going back into general population once we've, once they're not picked oh. up. I mean, I don't, I don't so know. They never, so, so don't confuse bin location from general population. Having a location just means if you log into the system, I know exactly where I can go find it. That can still be a separate shelf for special order parts. You follow me? That doesn't, they should never go into gen, general population because they are not parts that were brought into by demand, right? They are not parts that that should be part of your inventory. They are, they are outside your inventory, predominantly. There'll be some stuff we order because there's a run on it or it's a it's a uh, uh, recall part or something like that. But for the most part, a special order part is some obscure one-off thing. You hope it doesn't stay in that, right? So that's that's kind of the other spot too is, is I've seen special order shelves where they're like the location. Now, uh, so what I mean by that is, is you go to put it uh, to A, right? Let's just say that's just something I went. And uh, I went to a parts department. I helped clean up a parts department. And... Uh, first of all, I, I, that is one of my first things I do is I run all your bin locations and that kind of tells me, um, what I need to know, uh, by looking at your part of bin locations. So does that go to say, uh, you run a list of bins and you look for the most interesting names of those bins? Absolutely. All right, well, let's, let's do this. Well, let's, we're, we're cycling to, to deadly sin number two, which is bin locations. So why don't we start talking about that? So. We're talking about special order parts. We were saying number one is, you know, we don't, we're, we're allowing the tail to wag the dog. Techs are ordering parts and maybe shotgun ordering. We don't have, a, a, our inventory is not tight enough to allow for that. So we end up with obsolescence. 
We don't have a location for it. So we're not organized. We don't know where it goes. And so then that rolls into actually the bin locations in your, in your parts department. So why don't we, why don't we phase in and start talking about that? We'll, we'll transition off SOPs. So having a good strategy um, for bin locations is super important so that one, you know, I was given the example on, on the way over here, right, is, is uh, you can sense if you have a good layout, a, a general manager can come into your parts department or a service manager can come into a parts department, customer can, whoever it is, and they can say, this is out of place. That's how you know you have a good layout. Now I'll give an example. So I uh, I, I had the privilege of, of of going into one of the biggest warehouses I have ever had to manage, and I, I go in there, you know, uh, fairly green, and 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 uh, I start putting things where they don't belong, not following it, and I had somebody else come by and says, huh. Not, had nothing to do with parts. And they said, that's kind of a weird spot to do that. That's a weird spot to store those because it didn't fit the mold. Yep. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Is that if you have a good strategy, you, not just you as a parts manager, but other people can tell you like, Hey, something's wrong here. This shouldn't look like that. Yeah. So we, we worked on that parts department together. We all went out and we did the inventory and you guys remember what that was like. And uh part of his problem was, his organization, his bit, physical bin, the way the parts that he had, um, where he was putting them big parts on or little parts on big shelves, big parts hanging off of little shelves, like weird stuff. Right. And so we left there. We didn't get done what we really wanted to, because the goal was to count everything and organize everything before we left. We didn't get to that because counting everything became a nightmare because we couldn't find any of the stuff. We couldn't. We we spent uh, 15 minutes trying to find what the location was. Right? Yeah. Bin 175 and a half. What, what is, is that? What is yeah. 175 and what a is, half? That's the best bin so far today. <laughs> Four stairs. Um, so I sent my son. So my son has been, you know, he's obviously I've been in the car business my life, my whole life. And he's been in there with me and he used to help me pull obsolescence and him and all his cousins and everything. So he knows a little bit about it. So I gave him kind of the the download what I wanted to have happen, and uh, and I sent him to that store, and I, and I gave him you know I gave him a good deal on the labor. I just I need we needed somebody that can just that's all they were gonna do was focus on organizing and putting stuff where it was supposed to be, and that's the thing I talked to him every night, and he would tell me I just I don't know I don't understand why these are here. They just don't doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Like they're just either they're jammed in or it's like the little tiny part, and it's right to your point where when you walk in. It just, I, it's so obvious. Like, I don't understand why it needs to be that thing where everything looks like it fits. You know, if it doesn't look like it fits, you don't have it set up right. I mean, that's just, that's number one. So if we're talking about bin locations, I'd say the first thing is, is does it look right? And my, um, and one more point, and then I'm going to, I'm not going to dominate the mic anymore, but my, uh, my uh, brother-in-law is an engineer and he said sometimes a quarter inch fastener will do the trick based on the math. He goes, but it just doesn't look right. And so they'll use a three eighths or a bigger fastener because from our perspective, from the consumer perspective, it's got to look right. And I think it's the same thing when you walk into a parts department, you know, if it looks wrong, it probably is wrong. That's and, and I think a lot of that comes to, which we'll probably end up talking about, or I'm going to bring it up right now, is the fact that we as parts managers were trained from our predecessors and then they were trained from their predecessors 
And it goes back to putting parts in by numerical order. Yes. And so unfortunately, we all know that a part numerically order could be one small washer or one large radiator hose potentially. And if you're trying to keep that system, you're ultimately going to fail trying to, to keep a parts department organized and clean where it looks like it's right. And, Would you agree? And, and if you have that system, you're not bringing parts in. I don't care what you tell me. If you have parts in numerical sequence, it's an event for you to do two things. Bringing in parts, new stock. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next month. I'm hiring a guy to do it. Right. And it never gets done. So these things keep popping up on your stock order and you keep overriding the stock order. You should not. Touch. You're pushing those aside because you don't want you, them to come in. You don't want them to come in. Now it's going to be a hassle to filter them into the inventory. And, and I've done that. Right. I, I have. Right. I've had bins where I, I was so proud. Everything's numerical. Right. I used to have to prepare for my inventory three months before my inventory. I remember a guy telling me that that was the way to go. Yeah, no. The guy's sitting at this table. Not right in this now. room, I hope. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. I have seen the ways. I have seen the vision. But once again, I was a service guy, and I'm telling you right now, I thought that that makes no sense because but, the part number in the same group are four different sizes. I, I can't put them all into one bin. But hey, you, you got to remember who taught me that. The previous parts manager uh, who taught him that. Now ask that well, before that. Let's go back to Russell or Steve or Richard. Pollard. Oh my God, you Richard know. Pollard. So, yeah. so can I ask you guys? The way back uh, machine. Can I ask you guys? And and maybe we don't have the answers here. Maybe somebody in your audience does. Why? Why do we put things in in numerical sequence? What would you think? I know what I think. Well, I think well, it was going back. Oh, I'm sorry, Gary, didn't mean to interrupt. I, I would tend to think it goes back to before we had computer systems and technology. And when we were dealing with cards and microfish, where that you can walk to the shelf and just numerically find it. But a greater thing is I think this has been around for a long time is the bin locations themselves being in a way by picking by bins. And I think... That's something that was brought into us but, but, just recently with technology also. Would you agree? Yeah, but, you know, picking by bins, here, here's the one thing that I remember, right? When, it, when, when somebody would come in and I'd be like, oh, look at my parts department's in sequence, every number. And they'd say, why? Why do you do that? And I'd say, you know what? When I can't find a part and a part's not in the right location, I, I know I can go in sequence and I can find that, right? That was my excuse is because in case the part got put away and the bin location didn't get put away, I know I can go in order because that is, uh, I'll give you that. That, you're, that. You're aware, by the way, your warehouse guy is dyslexic. Yep. So the part's on the other side of the warehouse. Yep. And then if you have, I mean, there's some manufacturers that have, I, I swear they have the same 11 digit part numbers or or alpha uh, alphanumeric and it's like they're off by one digit. And I'm like, that's just forget about it. Trying to do a 01A102 and then it's 011A02. It's, it's oh, you're giving me nightmares yeah, right now. Oh, no, yeah. Flashbacks. Well, right? bro, you can't. So, right. So, like with Chrysler, you can't do that because you got Chrysler and some of them have all four Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Fiat. They got five. They got five different numeric sequences. So, there'll be a different part number for that set of brake pads. Yeah. And so you'll have a set over here and a set over there and a set of, it's like, you can't do it. But meanwhile, they're all the same part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are. They're yeah. all the same part. Yeah. Just in case they decide to split them up again, they want to keep the skews very different. <laughs> 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 well, you never know. <laughs> all right. What else do we want to talk about? About, uh, 
we want to wrap up. So bins, let's talk about bins and numbering real quick. So uh, what, what, what I've seen and, and what I've kind of, I've been shown the way. So first of all, I want to give a, a shout out to a late, great, really wonderful man that uh, I, I didn't have the pleasure of really working with, but it was Chuck McLeod is, is a very influential person. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's, this he's is one of those things where we like him after the fact, cause we hated him when he we, was there. We did. We did. He was a tough guy, but I, I got to tell you, so I was the mad scientist that got to reverse engineer everything yeah. Chuck did. And uh, again, luckiest parts guy in the world. And this is where I said, man, he had, he was so far ahead of his time. But the problem is he had so much knowledge that he didn't share it with anybody that nobody appreciated it. Yeah. But if if anybody does know Chuck McLeod, right, uh, I, I can tell you there's at least six or seven parts departments that that I've helped organize uh, that are actually modeled after his system because mm-hmm. I was able to reverse engineer. And that's kind of going back to the layouts. It was it was. It was able to, I was able to reverse engineer it by looking at it. So how big was his inventory? Three million? Uh, no, it, actually the size of his inventory wasn't even that big. Like dollar wise, yeah. it wasn't. Um, so know. I was running two at the time. Yeah, he, ha- he had about a one point, Donnie, about $1.5 million inventory, which was pretty decent size. Uh, but most of his stuff was sheet metal, right? So Yeah, because he, he did a lot of wholesale. He was able to buy pallets of it. But tell him how big it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that thing was We're huge. talking size. Yes. So imagine, Size matters. Pa- pa- size matters in this case. Pa- parts, parts managers, imagine that you can literally, it, it was the size of a hangar, yeah. right? Like that's where you could you could literally park. Well, it. I remember talking to Chuck one time at a meeting and he was telling me he buys hoods in crates. Yes. Crates of hoods. Not, I was not, like, I don't want one, not a crate, you know? For any of you BMW guys out there that have been there for a while, he would buy crates of Z3 hoods. And if anybody knows how much of a pain in the butt it was to carry Z3 hoods, he would have pallets of those things. Yes. Yeah, so just to unpack that, the Z3 had this big, it was like a big bubble. And then it went all the way down you, to you the You still nose. remember. You oh, have a I remember. <laughs> I remember. It was like a big bird nose, you know, because the, the, the kidney grills were in the front and it draped down and they were just a pain, a pain to stock and stack. And yeah, but we didn't have to unpack them. You guys we had 30,000 square feet. Jeez, man. We look like Costco in our sheet metal. <laughs> well, I remember him telling me he had a forklift and he would just stack the crates on top of each other. And I was like. All right, man. I don't even trust. And all Z three owners out there right now are crying because those hoods are no longer available. Oh, oh really? Already? Chuck's got a medicine. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so you learned the numbering system from him. What is it? What is one thing you would say in terms of numbering your bins? Where guys, do you think get it wrong? If if I could give you a hint, is one. I know it sounds kind of crazy because, and especially inventory guys will will disagree with me all day long. The people that do it um, is is they want you you got to remember inventory people want the least amount of bin to count count, count sheets count sheets oh count right? sheets yeah so they want uh you know i don't know 70 80 bin locations right and then they want them everything in sequence back to your sequence mm-hmm. um we uh the parts departments that i'm involved in the the, the ones that i coach with i i try to you're going to have almost as many bins as you do part numbers in your system. Mm. I know that sounds crazy. Um, but when you get the concept of that, you're picking and pulling parts because this is how the big guys do it, right? The, the, the big manufacturers, the, the, you go to the Amazons of the world, they're not going to pick a skew, 
right? They don't go skew one, two, three, four, five. Let me go grab it. They're going by a bin location. Yeah. Right. Some of them shoot, some of them, uh, Amazon has bins that actually come to the pickers. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the way you have to think about it. You're not picking by part number, you're picking by bin. Yeah. And I think too. So I think, and oh, that what we do is we have a tendency to oversimplify. Then as your inventory starts to grow, that's where you end up with these weird bin locations where you end up with 175.5 because you need to make another bin and you don't have space, a weird space on the shelf. And so then you create a weird bin location for it. But I think if you start, the one thing I love about your system is if you if you have the numeric sequence, it doesn't really matter. It it all you can expand it, contract it, you can do whatever you want with it. So yeah, and and when you when you build shelves, you you start, you know. So let's say for simplicity's sake, so people can understand what I'm talking about. Let's say I have bin, I don't know, one fifty seven, right? Let's say it's my downstairs. Uh, I don't know. I keep rotors there, and I have six shelves that I put six different part numbers on it. You always want to label um, the bins from bottom to top okay and the reason you want to do that so let's say i, I okay so i want to stop you there Go ahead. so we were just talking about this off mic and it, it blew my mind because you guys were asking me well okay so now you have this bin how do you number it and i'm like top to bottom left to right you know and uh, you're like no bottom to top and i go okay that's dumb why would you do it bottom to top and so that's why i want to pause on this for a second because it made a lot of sense to me you can go up, like you can add shelves up all the way up to the ceiling, but you can't dig a hole and go down. So if you want to add space to the A rack or whatever you want to call it, you're, it gives you that ability to go up. And so it's a simple thing. It's kind of a simple, stupid thing where you're just like, ah, I get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it makes sense Why to me. Why didn't I think of that? Damn yeah. It. So I just don't want somebody breezing past that anymore. Guys talking about bidding from bottom to top. That's dumb. Skip, you know. So stop on that for a second because it's it's interesting because it, I tell you it's a pain in the butt when you want to expand your bin. And now you got to go through and number all the shelves because you made it taller and you're going from top to bottom. You know, or or if you're condensing, it's I mean, it's hard to I mean, I guess we can condense downwards a little bit so you can add up. It's it's one of those things that once you do it, you're like, like you said, no brainer. But visually, for someone that's listening to us, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? What's so that if, mean? if you go, let's let's say, for example, we're going to we're going to this is not the way the numbering system works, by the way, but I'm just going to simplify it. Let's say I have bin 157. Right. And I want to have a shelf A, B, C, D, E. Right. The way you're going to do it is that you're going to do 157. A is going to be at the very bottom. 157B would be the next shelf above that. 157C would be the next shelf above that, right? So what that allows you to do is one, if you have bigger items, right? That goes on to a whole other topic, right? When you're when you're doing your layout, mm-hmm. um, you want to make sure that you put parts away by size of the bin, right? Uh, it's probably more important than actually location of the bin. Uh, that way you don't end up with rubber hoses on 24 inch bins, you know, that are, that are eight feet high. You know, you just don't do that. 
Okay, yeah. Who doesn't have a bin that's full of crap that you go to pull one piece off and like 10 hoses or something fall off and you're just always frustrated and everybody's like, God dang it, why is this like this? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Every parts department I've been into. Yeah, every single one. I can, I can show you a dozen pictures of that stuff. So uh, you'll, you'll see the the dipstick you know, that's my favorite one is the dipstick, right? That that doesn't need Well, I got that. a perfect example for that. We just put it. So what you do is you get this pegboard stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> you can hang five dipsticks no. on there. Power steering hoses. No, no. <laughs> Don't listen to that. If, if, if anybody has put pegboard, take it down. Take it down. I saw it. a pegboard, please. No. I, I keep it up just for you. So we, so before we so, got so on can mic. I can I tell you the pegboard starts off with good intentions. It really <laughs> does. And, and parts managers, I know you agree with me, right? I got this great idea. I'm going to put pegboard uh, yeah. and look how beautiful it looks. And next thing you know, hooks are missing. Hooks are on the ground. Yeah. Moldings all over this. It's a you got everything organized and then, then somebody pretty. moves the hooks. <laughs> and then next thing you know, you got one line like direct, like diagonal across the thing. And, and you then know. you try to put the part numbers in sequence on top. Yeah. Of yeah. You try to see it but we, so we were having this conversation about pegboard and and actually it's been a, a, a funny subject because we did an inventory together and we had we talked about it a little bit and and actually Luis wanted to put it up as one of the seven deadly sins but we wouldn't let him. <laughs> it's he, his seven he, deadly sins we're all okay with there it. though <laughs> we're shifting to grid wall now the new thing is grid wall it's all the it's same symmetrical. no <laughs> No. <laughs> all right. All right. We're moving on. We're moving on because we're at we're at two. Let's move on to three. Dead ends. This one ought to go fast. This is very Let's talk about what are dead ends. Dead ends is if you have a aisle. Well, let's just that's that's another one. An aisle that goes straight to a wall. Right. So what ends up happening, it is quick, but that's where the Christmas trees end up most of the time. Or the parts that nobody down wants to put away. down run, at the yeah. end of the bin, at the at the run, way at the very bottom. Yeah, explain what's Christmas trees again. Yeah. Oh, that's the sales department <laughs> dropping off their Christmas tree from ornaments. That's where the ornaments go. Ornaments by the way, Halloween yeah. decorations. Yes, yeah. all the decorations. Okay, so dead end is basically when you're going down to the end of bin and dead ends into a wall, and you have no choice but to back out of it. And because it's a dead end, it seems like a really good place to stack something because there's no nothing down there. But at the end of the day, what you're really creating is inefficiencies. And I think the big thing about dead ends is we think about efficiencies when we think about technicians and we think about making sure that they can be productive and they can stay efficient. But we don't think about that when we're thinking about parts people. But the truth of the matter is, is if you think you need to hire one or two or three more counter guys or you need a parts runner, I think you really need to take a look at your efficiencies. Do you have your parts in the right spot? Are they easy to get to? Your bin layout, is it logical? Do you have dead ends where guys got to go all the way down to the end? And then if he can't find it down, he's got to come all the way back out and turn to the next row and go down to the end. And it's inefficient, right? It just doesn't create good flow. And if you got a bunch of crap stacked at the end of the bin, if it becomes a catch-all, then it just, it just impedes their progress, right? Even if it's just a few seconds, the truth of the matter is that you need to maximize their time the same way you would maximize a technician's time. And we don't think about it because it's a soft cost, whereas a tech's time is a hard cost. But it really is something to consider. Think about your layout. Think about how you've got your bins designed. And do you have crap where it shouldn't be? And that's getting in the way of, of these guys actually picking parts. All right, moving on. Negative on hand. This is a good one because we're going to have a conversation about this one. So... I'm pro negative on hand, which I think is weird to say because I thought everybody was. 
I'm pro negative on hand. Greg is pro negative on hand. Don. Hell no. Don is no on negative on hand. And Luis. I was converted because of Don to no. No. Okay. So now we have two no's and two yeses for negative on hand. Um, all right. So what I want to understand, Don, you're gonna, I'm going to need you to lean in a little bit on this one. Don's playing the passive role today. I, what I want to know from Don and Luis is why not? Why would we not want? So what you're basically talking about is if I sell a part and we don't have it in, in inventory, it will not record as a negative. My very simple answer to that is why isn't it in inventory? Well, yeah, that's right. To me, yes, I get that. That's that's it, right? So you have negative on hand to cover up another process, right? I'm too busy to properly stock it. I don't have a good special order process. I'm bringing the part from something else. You're creating, you know, uh, accidental in and out situations with somebody. I mean, I've I've gone to a place that, you know, they they were IOing everything and then they're wondering why their inventory they, they couldn't stock parts. They're like, man, I've sold that part, you know, a dozen times. Why isn't it coming in? It's because you've I'd owed it because you didn't receipt the part before you sell it. It comes back to the special order process. Yep. You know, you tag it, you give it a bin location in your special order. You receipt it. You receipt it in. You create an order for it. So when your shipping and receiving guy gets it, he's going to scan it, know that it's special ordered. It's going to go to an invoice. He's going to give it a bin location. Everybody can find it. Okay, so let's start at the front of the logistics chain. The part comes in on the dock, right? You got a shipping and receiving kid who runs around with his earbuds in, you know, he's got pizza in one hand and scanner in the other, and he's scanning and he misses one, right? And that part makes it to the shelf, and the tech or the parts advisor, the back counter person, goes back there because he knows what the part is. He goes, oh shit, there it is. And he grabs a part and then he goes to give it to the technician, but it doesn't show on hand. So he sells it anyways and hands it to the tech and says, I'll fix it later. If it records a negative, I know it, it happened. If it doesn't, how do I know it happened? But that's a bad process. Yeah, that's a bad that's process. That's a terrible process. That's I'm just a bad saying, yeah, process. For me, it's a, it's, it's a because cue for me as a parts manager to go look at it. Okay, but a parts manager has got to go over his invoicing and see, oh, why isn't this receipted? I'm billed for it. You Then you have to investigate it. Gary, if you had a part, if you had, um, I don't know, maybe this is a bad analogy, but if you had a part or, or, or something that came in your bank account and it was negative on hand. <laughs> if I had negative would that, dollars, would, would that make you, to my wife. <laughs> would that make you feel better if you had one, you know? If it, I had a negative dollar in there. No, you would want, you know, you would want the bank to properly have a transaction on there to record it and so you would want to know where that okay. money came from. All right. So you're saying that they're going to invoice me for it and I'm going to have an order for and it. And I'm going to know that that part, how do you know it wasn't receipted? Because I got invoice from my manufacturer. But so are you double checking every part to make yes. sure it was receipted? I do. How? By the invoice. You know, I print. No, so you do an invoice to run a. Um, no, I go in and I see what was receipted. Yeah, so I'll if, see if, that if, it's missed. If you have a receding process, right? If and, and, and so that's, that's actually great. You're, you're you're kind of proving my point, right? So if if I have trained all my parts managers to double check 
all their invoicing right? and, and general managers and, and owners out there, they should be doing that because if you're trusting that everything is in the box that should be in the box, you know, we all know that there would be no claims process and parts. We would have no, no shortages or overages. It, it happens. So you have to be able to have orders out there. Um, but yeah, by invoices, right? So if you have, if you order, I don't know, thousand dollars worth of parts you should have a thousand dollars worth of orders to receipt in and you should have an invoice that's a thousand dollars okay so greg now because i'm being converted over here i agree with you so you're surrounded by these cats why are you not converted because human error human error and like you said saying human error you spot it it's it's very easy to run a negative on hand report and spot it real quick it happens. Yes, I agree with if you have a spot on receding process, uh, whether using scan guns or routing your orders and your, your receding side, uh, depending on your DMS, uh, human error. It happens all the time. And yes, you're right. You know, you're going to be looking at going, well, why didn't he scan that in? Usually I check that right after the fact. Um, when the guy says, Hey, I checked in everything. I look at my, my receding and go, okay, this is what I got billed for. This is what I actually receded in. Oh, he missed one. But once again, that doesn't stop the technician asking for that part and that time frame that I didn't catch it. And, and essentially tech, my tech with my parts guy going to the shelf going, I actually have one. So we're going to hang up the whole process. Let my guy bill it out. Let it go into a negative. Greg, you're talking about to receive a part takes I, an extra 20, 30 20 seconds. seconds. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But when you, like I said, when you put it down, human error, you're going to happen. It's right. going to happen. We get busy. We, you know, we have texts in front of us. We have phones ringing. Stuff happens. It's a way to see it. I don't like it because once again, if you, if you sell something, I know you're not supposed to have it on hand, but if you sell something, it doesn't record and you're right. That's what I don't like. But that's the, gonna- that, that's the human error about it, right? Is is that when you do that, you have that behavior of that you're IOing the part. You can accidentally IO the part. I right? agree with you. And then what do you do then, right? You IO the part, and then what happens when that part isn't needed and it comes back to your inventory? For those of you who are like me, who have been doing this quite a long time actually, and only just recently learned what IO is. IO is in and out, where you can actually take a part. And because if it might not even be in inventory, you could you could run it in and out all in the same transaction. So you run it in and then you sell it out, and then it but it doesn't record it. There's no demand. So if there's you're IOing, no, yeah, there's no digital footprint, right? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't put a uh, um, a demand on it, right? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't record it as a sale. Exactly. It's just a, it's a non-transaction. So no. So, so you're like saying that happen. you're allowing the human error aspect to control this part of it. He, he went there. He went there, Greg. I, I was thinking it. I didn't want to say it, but he went there. Yeah, we all. No, listen, listen. I hate to say this. So I'm going to put my advisor hat on. Or I'm going to put my coach Jay. Oh, actually, God. I'm going to put my Jr. hat on. Okay. You know me, man. I'm going to find the holes. <laughs> I'm going to find it. Right. Who makes the best thief? Who makes the best detectives of thieves? So I'm over here going, if I'm running it, right, and I'm a manager and I start seeing a lot of IOs, or I start, no, not IOs, uh, the the negative, negative on, on hand. hand. If mm-hmm. I see the negative on hand and I see this, I would have a tendency to say, 
I have something going on in my receivables department, right? To my, my, right? And so then imagine if I have a couple of those, then I would start thinking going, if I'm not receiving these in from my shipping and receiving guys, what's disappearing that's not being received? And then my parts manager is going to see an invoice. Wait a minute. I should have five of these. It says I only have four of them, right? Oh, and I go to the shelf. I'm like, I only have four of them. What happened to the fifth one? Oh, it just walked out of the department. That You, you just stumbled on another thing, right? So back to your efficiency thing. I, I just thought of this right now. So let's say yeah, I'm just gonna get uh, you're, you're getting one. clobbered. I, I, want, I want to <laughs> I know, want. I, I want to want to like negative on hands. I really do, guys. Right? Where's so, Alex when I need him? <laughs> so I have... Uh, I just built out a negative on hand. Let's say I, I went to um, Napa. I went to Napa, not Napa, but let, let's say I go to a neighboring dealer. They're so gracious enough to give me the part. It goes negative on hand. I got five coming in, right? And this this part I'm I'm making I don't know tons of gross on it, and you get the five when you receipt the five. What happens? You're, it actually puts it at four if you don't if you do not re, uh, so your system fix that is, your system is flawed. I, I I would agree with you well, on no, that because I'm going to receipt the one in that I go get I go How? get from Napa. You're hoping that you what if the receipt doesn't come to you? So if, if I'm going to create well that's the thing that parts department does not enter the that part does not enter the parts department without being receipted. It there's a line in my in my world I create a line parts on one side of the line aren't in inventory parts on the other side are, and they do not cross that line without going through that process. Okay. Yeah. I agree. But, but so they, they so, can't come into the store. They cannot come into the store without being accounted for. And then they have to go out and it adds a layer and people get from, Oh, just doing aisle, just doing it. In, like, no hell with that. Follow protocol, put a digital stamp on it, track demand properly, do it the right way. So the five come in while you're out getting the other one. Yeah. So then you have six. Six come in, those, you receive six, you sell one, you have five. Right, but you could you could have six, right? So if 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 I if one goes negative on hand, if I go in and I'm hey, I'm I'm too busy to do spend an extra twenty seconds to so, receive. Okay, this so okay, so let's 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 stop there. So the so the busy part is not the thing. Okay. The thing about negative on hand is it's a way, and this is where Greg and I, I think agree, the negative on hand is a way to catch somebody making a mistake that you might not have caught otherwise. So I agree with you guys. You're going to check your receiving and check your invoicing. But let's just say you miss it too, right? And so now you've got a double error. In If it goes negative on hand, you're for sure going to catch it now because it's going to show up on your reader. So why not do both? You, I mean, both. What does negative on the hand? What does negative on the hand? <laughs> <laughs> the hell? <laughs> what does negative on hand do negatively to you? Uh, I think it it creates bad habits. It it creates bad habits because I'll, I'll tell you that in, in again. But it doesn't so, circumvent process. But, it's just adding one more check. So he, here's the other part of it. So uh, I I I worked. Uh, I'll just say one of my predecessors. Um, he would take his negative on hand and he wouldn't go research it. You know what he would do? You would just plus it in. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen that. And then, so what does that do to your inventory? Oh, yeah. It messes your inventory. And up. guess where those parts were most likely getting built out? Right. To the service department. Right? Or the sales department. And so that that's where I would see, like, why why in the world would you do this? Okay. So I've got a guy right now doesn't use negative on hand. Doesn't believe in it. Right? He has 200 
he has a small inventory of 150,000, maybe less than that. He has 300 open orders right now, 300 part numbers on order that are open and unaccounted for. Does that seem reasonable? No, but what is that? It's too high, right? Right. But he doesn't have negative on hand. So what I'm theorizing is that these parts are coming in. They're not getting receded. They're getting sold. We don't have negative on hand to fall back on. And I have no idea what happened. Touche. You, 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 that's, I haven't thought of that right there. But that, that's definitely a reason why you would want that. So, but, yeah, so without but, that check and balance, but you're you got, completely in the dark. You got deeper issues at that point. Yeah, well, of course. Right. I mean, that's the thing yeah, I'm that's saying. Not the a negative uh, on hand is going to make the problem. So, the way, okay, so here's what I want to do so we can move on to the next one is here's what I think is, is happening here. You guys are so good at your jobs, and I'm not blowing smoke or kissing asses. You guys are doing such a good job. You don't need it anymore. It just gets in the way. It's just one more thing to, to do. Why would I want to look at negative on hand? I forgot that sorted out. And so you don't need that extra check and balance. I don't know that everybody's in that situation. My recommendation is to do both. This is just what I'm saying. And it's my personal opinion is that you can't go wrong by having both checks in place because you do want to look at everything you receive. You have a really good receiving pro. I mean, geez, I, I, I actually thinking about this right now, I'm surprised we don't have that on the list, but I guess because everybody should be doing that, right? You should receipt every part that comes to you like that should be done. But there are places that don't. And in this, in case we're talking about this one dealership that we're working with right now, that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't have a really good receiving process. It's terrible as a matter of fact. Um, and so I think you need both to keep those checks and balances in place. So let me ask you, how are they receiving it in by scanner, by hand. manual hand? Yeah. That's your problem right there. Yeah. Well, they only get six parts a day. Yeah, but you, but you definitely have. I've, I mean, it's tiny. The, the scan, How do they have three hundred scan, yeah. open? Scanner will make uh, that's that's a whole other topic. Is is oh, uh, scanner fixes a lot of problems? Yeah, scanner yeah. absolutely does fix a lot of problems. Yeah. Right, and I've seen places that have. They're like, oh, you're not big enough to have a scanner. Like, really, I'm not big enough to have a scanner, right? So, uh, typically, they're like, oh yeah, you got to have over you know, three quarters of a million dollars. So what if my pieces, so what if I have a very, you know, my parts are inexpensive, but I have more pieces than Highline. Right? I just think, I think you're, it's the 21st century. Is it 21st, 22nd? 21st. One of those. Anyways, I think it, it, it's, it's the, in this day and age, you need to have a damn scanner. Yes. Like it's a I'm must. I'm going to use French. God dang it. Go get a scanner. For Pete's sake, it's, it's the modern era. Like I bought, I bought things sitting on the airplane. I'm buying plane tickets for my next trip on my phone. Like if you can do that. You need a darn scanner in your parts department. Like figure it out. Okay. Negative on hand. We moved. We have four. We had four guys and we're coming up on the hour. So, all right, let's move forward. So wholesale prices. Okay. So here's how this came up. This came up from our illustrious coach Jay. And what, um, what this is, is we, Let's see. We are charging our service department um, a significantly higher price than we're charging our wholesale vendors. And then the wholesale just allows the wholesale vendor to cut the price. So if the customer shops around, he can go get the same part and the same service two doors down for a cheaper price. Meanwhile, the parts coming from us. Is that fair? Is, have I described it correctly? Uh, I would agree. So, but let's, let's uh, differentiate 
wholesale. Would you agree on this wholesale for mechanical and wholesale for collision? Collision. Yeah. Because I look at wholesale for mechanical is yes, they are a customer of mine, but they're also, I want to say so much a competitor, but we, if we're feeding them, um, cheap prices and we're making, helping them thrive, what's that do to our service departments? And I mean, I could go deep into this where, you know, why do we lose technicians? Well, maybe they're going to independence. Why are we losing, you know, we can go down that rabbit hole on that, but I am a firm believer that wholesale strategy for you should be based on your service department's needs. And if you can't take care of your service department, why are you taking care of your competitor? That is a great answer, Greg. And this is Coach Jay. And let me give you the answer that I was given <laughs> by not only you all, but the majority of parts managers Five minutes I've dealt ago, with. He was sleeping in the corner. By I was. He just woke up. I was snoring. Uh, here's the thing. And this is why I'm passionate about it. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, I'm calling you guys out. It's your fault. And I'm going to tell you it's your fault because you fall prey to the crack. It's your fault because you fell for the ultimate sales pitch from your OEM telling you, you should get on this wholesale train. It's going to be good. We got bonuses. We got this. We got, and then they just keep, I mean, telling you, it's like. It's deeper than that. It, it, it's not just. It's it not just, just makes the, me mad. It's not it just makes the me OEM mad. wanting to sell more parts. It's hitting the parts bonus a couple of times and your owner going, hey, that was pretty cool. Let's do that a couple more times. And you're like, well, shoot, I got to find a way to move more parts because they got a, a a purchase tier that you have to hit. And they keep raising the dang thing on you because you bought more. So they want to grow you. And so they move the purchase tier. So you got to find a way. At some point, you're giving them away. You're giving parts away just to hit the purchase tier. All right, I'm going to go back to the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right, JR. It, it, you're right. And I agree with it. And I hated it. In fact, Luis and I used to have a lot of conversations about it. I don't know if you remember, but I hated I hated playing the game and we were competing with Chuck, you know, we were talking about before and and we were just always up against it. And we were on the heroin of the parts bonus and we just could not get off. I yeah. felt like I was on a hamster wheel. And we kept talking to like, well, if you stop, I'll stop. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was telling him just one month, let's not get the bonus. Or actually, you'd have to do it for a year, basically. And then reset for the next year, but it was like half a million dollars. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of money, and I and I get it. I mean, there's there's so much money tied into it. Um, Dude, but- I got a store right now. Their parts bonus is two hundred fifty grand a month. A month, they are not getting off. They're selling wholesale parts ten percent below cost. But how's their service department doing? They're they're fine. They're, they're doing good. So no independent. The independents out there that are competing with them aren't. Taking away sits, that business? No, as it sits right now, it's a big service department. They do 80 to 100 cars a day. They're high gross. It's, 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 I, I haven't really even heard anything about a conflict with it. And that wholesale store is one of the biggest wholesalers in the market. So I'm not well, opposed to selling to mechanical shops. I, I it's def- just a lot of money. Well, I, and here's the thing I, I, I guess I set my strategy up for pricing that it doesn't compete with my own shop. And I've had very hard conversations with mechanical shops when they're like, well, that's only 15 off of your bump list. Well, I'm giving you my bump list. That's what I'm selling it for to my customer. If you don't like it, I totally understand you want to go somewhere else. 
But I think, you know, when you, when you look at how much effort, the time, the vehicles, we, Luis and I used to joke that all it takes is your, your parts driver to rear in someone, kill them. And now you've lost all that parts yeah, I mean, bonus. Greg calls me. Greg called me. He's like, man, my parts guy just got in a wreck, wreck my parts van. He's like, I'm done. It's going to take, it? it's taking two years to recover this <laughs> business model. Pretty much. It's, 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 I, I'm done. So I think, so I think when it comes to that, I think number one, if you're, if you're, if you're, reducing your margin and feeding that to your competitor and allowing him to undercut you and there's nothing in it for you which in a lot of manufacturers there is no bonus and so if that's the case then you're what the heck for right why why give parts away focus on your service customers grow your service business hold high service margin and and really dig into that that's really the only way if you've got a, a situation where you have to hit a tier you really don't have much of a choice because i don't see many dealers turning a blind eye and saying i don't need that money they they're gonna want it it just it is what it is right i mean oh i agree with you i mean luckily the manufacturer i have it's a game it, i mean they're not they, they hold us on a rebate i mean I've, we've worked for another manufacturer you know same one we all worked for uh that's crazy what they're they're asking of their dealers uh to go out and do increase every year and when you look at the overall picture who are you making the most money for the manufacturer yeah they don't care they'll say yeah we're giving you a bonus but if we were to as a dealer group or as a body group to look at and say oh i get they need to make their money but really we're doing it the wrong way we're doing our own industry uh, a disservice by going out and chasing mechanical wholesale because we complain about we don't have technicians that want to work or they're they're leaving other they're going to independence well of course we're feeding that by giving the parts and then let's back this up one last thing i'm sorry Luis, i'll let you jump in majority of the calls that i have taken over the years when a mechanical shop calls me they're only buying the captive parts that i have they are going out and finding the competitive parts from the O'Reilly's or the world packs of the world, or, you know, I can go through all those and they're buying the cheapest part, or maybe it's the most convenient part. And I know Luis and I, we had, I think had probably one of the biggest wholesale operations in the Bay area. We had that thing so lean and stream and we still looked at it and went, this is a loser. In that, the end. that was one uh, exercise that I did that I got sick to my stomach. Yeah. Right. Is, is I did a co-op with uh, three very large stores. Um, and I, I said, you know, I, am I making money here? You know, man, it, it looks, you know, I remember people, man, Luis is running a serious operation here. And I was like, ah, am I making money? And and I'm doing the calculations. I'm, I'm calling my controller. I'm like, hey, you know, what's the percentage for, you know, the benefits and this what's this employee's going to cost me management fuel all that stuff and in the end it it came out to i, I pushed a whole lot of metal and i made absolutely nothing yeah. but but i said to myself at least there was the bonus you get the bonus so okay so here's what i would say and i think this is good advice uh and i did this same exercise is i did i took my wholesale department and made it its own business I gave it a piece of the rent and based on its volume and it's a lot of work to go through this thing, but it will give you a clear picture as to how profitable it is. I mean, cause I had nine people in wholesale and that was more than I had running the rest of it. And they weren't even a third of the revenue that was coming through that department. 
So it's they're, a lot they're of probably the, the highest paid too, right? Because they're yes. your best salesman. Yeah. 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 So you got to pay the salespeople high if you want good salespeople. You got drivers, which is problematic. And they create a lot of problems by wrecking your vans and pissing off customers, you name it, right? So it's just a problem, problem, problem. You dent a piece of sheet metal, you know, there goes your profit for the month. So me and Luis had this conversation. What other business out there is set up like a dealership with wholesale? So by that, Gary, you know, what other business can you demand to get a discount? Carry them on credit. Yeah. So deliver the part, pick up the part when they want to return it, and then take 90 days to pay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let me borrow. Is there the, any other the business that does that? No. The closest I would say is like construction or paint. You know, would be the closest I would say, but then they don't deliver. You know, they don't give you ninety days. They don't. They don't. You don't typically. You could get a credit account, but it's tight. It doesn't make it's sense. It's not the same. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, it's, we're the only ones that really do everything that we do uh, for those customers. It's, but I mean, it's again. If you go back to which, and this was mentioned earlier, the one, the one that's winning out in this whole thing is the manufacturer. And I don't hate on the manufacturers. They they provide for us all. If we didn't have their products, we wouldn't have jobs. But at the end of the day, it truly, if you follow the money, it's its what they want. They don't make money off labor. They really don't care who puts the part on. They don't make a nickel off labor we do. And so for all they care is you can take those parts, buy them, put them in the parking lot, light them on fire. They really don't care where they end up as long as you buy them from them. And that's the key. And so they're getting a little bit lost in the soup because I think they're doing a disservice to their core customer base that's coming to the dealership to get service. Um, but it's hard to make them see that too, because all they see is the green and they're passing that on to the dealer owner who sees the green and that's forcing it down to us to have to do it. So in answer to your question, Jair, we apologize to all service departments out there, but it is, it is the heroin and it's hard to get off. If anybody's got some wholesale methadone, we're happy to take it. <laughs> Stop screwing our freaking service advisors. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, can I move us along to number six? I think number six is pretty simple. I don't even know about this whole organization, clean, whatever. I just say, get the stuff off the floor. Don't make your bin location be floor. Don't let it be CLO, which means closet. Don't let it be ROF, which is roof. Don't do it. Just keep it clean. It's that simple, right? Is it? Do we have to go any further than that? So there, so there. No, I mean, well, we should let's talk about it for a minute. You don't want what do you? You could come in and just running in like. Can, no, I'm just saying. Off. No, I'm just saying. Come, six, come, come, six seems easy. I want to spend more time in number seven. So real quick, we, seven's going to be short. Trust me. Really, number yeah. six. I, I would like to just little dab in number six. Number six to me, if you walk general managers, service advisors, sir, uh, service managers, if you walk in your parts manager's office and it's disheveled and there's paperwork everywhere and there's broken parts behind the desk or Ooh. stuff around in the parts department, I can guarantee you that everything that we just talked about is a problem because it starts with the parts manager being organized in his own office, which carries out to the rest of the department, to the rest of the employees. How would you classify me? Ooh. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen what your office looked like. But I, I mean, I still think you had a method to your madness. Yeah, but I was not organized. Yeah. I mean, I had to raise my level of organization to be a parse manager. Yeah. But that was not my general. That was not but, my normal state. But, but, you know, that's did, a, did you have a bucket? A bucket? A bucket. 
No. no, no, I meant bucket, a tray, something where you put in bushes. So uh, everyone just dropped everything. As like, long as you didn't have a pot, like trays. really. So you just had a pile. No, no, I didn't like stuff on my desk. I don't like paper, so I just wouldn't like invoices. We just, I wouldn't look at them. <laughs> you can't see Luis's face, but oh, he's making faces man, over there. That is bad. <laughs> hey, man, you know the parts are here, right? They came in. The crate showed up. We scanned them all in. Look, I don't know much about parts, but this is what I when, when I walked because I've walked in. We, bro, we've walked into how many parts departments? I mean, tons, right? Whenever we go to stores, I mean, not not all all the time, so that's but what we I was do walk through it. Say, to, I was going to say to you, it's like think about Rob's parts department. When you walk through oh my there, God, yeah. it yeah. like gives you a feeling of calm because everything's super organized yeah. and neat and stuff fits where it fits and is where it's supposed to well, be. And I don't know who, it's one of you guys in this room had taught me and I've heard it from other parts managers, really good parts. Kevin, the guy that gets to $250,000 a month, right? I, he, I even heard it from him. When you walk into a parts department, the one thing that a parts manager and a parts employee has to look at is everything in that room is dollars. Oh, it's yeah. just there's coins. You're welcome. There's dimes. You're there's, welcome. It's true. <laughs> I, and it's right, Donnie. I think it was at your store. It's like, bro, anything, anything on the floor, anything out of place, anything on the counter. Remember, I remember being on the back counter no. and going there and you'd be getting on. What was his name? Uh, one of your guys. He was like, hey, what is that there? That's money. Move back here. Well. I don't look at everything I have on my shelves as parts. I look at them as $100 bills. Yeah. Would you discard money? Right. Parts laying on the ground. That part's $1,000. If you had $1,000 laying on the ground, you think everybody would pick it up? Yeah. Put it away? You just kick it. Where it belongs? Yeah. I look at it as dollars. Just put it at the end of the, the dead bin aisle. Yeah, the dead bin. Dead goes bin. to the end of the dead bin. That's what I think. Parts on the floor. Like you open a drawer and it's exploding with parts and- like you just, it's just money in there. It's like, it's, it's really mistreating that owner's investment. That's how, that's truly how I look at it. All right. We're moving on to uh, number seven, emergency purchases. This one's mine. And I put this one up on the board because I think that this is a marker of how good you're doing overall as a parts manager. And the reason I think that, because the more you have to go somewhere and pick up a part, and emergency purchase it, that, that's an indication of how well run your parts department is. If you have to do that a lot, you you your fill off the shelf's wrong, your special order parts process is broken, your you know, your bin organization's probably fall. Like everything up the food chain from here is broken. And this one marker is what's gonna tell me. If I if I run your management report and I see a ton of emergency per I know right away that all your processes from top to bottom are uh, probably have holes all in all of them. Uh, agreed. The, the, the fireman drill, right? The hold on. Uh, yeah, I got that part. And then you, you, you say you qualify the part. If you have the part, if you have more than one, yep. if you have maybe three, yeah, I got that part. And then you go to the shelf and you have, you don't have three, right? right. You're, you're like, what right. are the chances that I'm missing all three? Yeah. Right. The fireman drill now. So, you know, I, I don't do the to the voice as good as Jay, though, but the, the butt G-man voice. But G-man, you don't understand. We have a back order situation. We've got to get that. The service advisor is forcing us to get the part, G-man. Is that good? That's not bad. I mean, 
But G-Man. There you See, that's how you got to do it, man. You got you to get it right. But G-Man. I have the high octave. I think is that what it is? The falsetto, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so there, there's a whole lit- litany of reasons why you're going to go get a part. And, and all of them are probably valid. We want to feed the service department. Yeah, there's a recall thing, and there's a thing and the thing. There's always a thing. But everybody's got those. So your numbers should be relative to everybody else, not high. You shouldn't be going to get things all the time. And if you don't investigate why that's happening, it's going to keep happening. And those are the most expensive parts you are ever going to get. Because the minute two legs have to go out and go get that part for you, you're adding cost to that thing. A nickel every single time they touch it. And then they got to get in a car and they got to drive and you're putting yourself at risk. And we're just talking about accidents and how much that caught. And like, it's just a whole thing to me. It's a lose, lose, lose. The part comes back. It's wrong. It's broken. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a dealer kicking us 20, 25% over. It's just, the list goes on and on how bad that process is. And if, if you, that's happening to you, and that number's really high, I say dig into it immediately and then go right back up the list of the seven deadly sins and check each one of them because they're probably all wrong. So here's where I get a little confused. And, and I know if this is not associated, but to me, I I see quite often parts managers to, to I guess, uh, to solve an issue of not having a part they borrow from their own parts. Let me give you an example. Guy comes in, needs a water pump. We have an SOP water pump on the shelf waiting for a customer to come in. Two days, I'll just use that one, borrow that one, put it back in, and then I'll order another one for that one and put it back and make that happen. Because we're in time, it's happened to me as a service advisor a couple of times, not very many, a couple of times it happened to me. And I know I've heard it from other advisors too, is... I told my customer to come in for the part. Oh, it's it's on order. We ha- we don't have it or kind of had it, but we didn't have it. We had to let it borrow for another emergency that happened. And we had to just borrow the part. Is that a good practice? Is that something that's, that's normal? Is it, is it a good practice? Uh, yeah. I mean, you have to do what you have to do to take care of the customers in front of you, right? So, so yes, um, it, it shouldn't happen all the time, just like emergency purchases, right? So... Uh, I would do that, um, but I wouldn't try to make a habit of it. And and if I did that with the same part multiple times, I know I have other issues. Right. And make sure that check with your service department to make sure this other customer doesn't have an appointment set up to come in at the same time or if they're a week down the road, steal it. Right. Take care of the customer that's in front of you. Maybe that customer isn't going to come back. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I see is – we're going to save it because we want to play it safe. And then that d- customer doesn't come back. And now we're stuck with that. And we pissed off this other guy and we ordered it for him. And so I, I hear what you're saying. The thing is, is 80, 80 to maybe even high 90s, 90% of the time, that's going to work. Because most of the time, the guy's got an appointment several days out. You can get one from your local warehouse and replace it and you're fine. And you hope you capture the demands, right? Yeah. You, that's that's really what it comes to. The faster you can capture those demands. And, and well, and you got a customer. They're there. They've got their car there. You've got the part on the shelf. You should just fix that car, right? It's bird in the hand. you got to take care of the customer in hand. And I, I'm not trying to devalue the customer that's out there, but the truth is, is it's it's a 50-50 shot as to whether or not that guy's coming back, to be honest with you, to get that part. So why risk it? I want to make the money right now. Oh, so 
Uh, actually, this was you, Gary. I don't, Uh-oh. I don't know if I told you the story, but, um, so, so people that don't know, Gary had one of the state of the, at the time, right? In the, the early 2000s, Gary had the state of the art dealership, agreed, right? In the yeah, Bay Area. It was there, pretty nice. There yeah. was, there was nobody that even compared. I mean, yeah. I, people would come, I, I'd feel horrible when my employees would have to come pick apart from you. <laughs> it's like, oh, you see, they got bins. They got <laughs> see those drawers. They're gorgeous. There's, there's no pegboard over there. <laughs> so one of the things that when, when I said, you know, doggone it, I'm going to, I'm going to get this figured out. I'm, I, you know, I worked for, uh, the Hendrick automotive group. Um, and they spent a lot of time, um, investing in my future right i took my first part parts department when i was 24 and i i I met a guy and he did like you right like luis like you got to look at your mgr report emergency orders and i said so that was my focus and i don't know if you know it now but it was like i'm taking gary down he's he's going down right i mean we would have pizza parties in my office we would literally track on a monthly basis my parts that i purchased from bmw concord and how many parts you purchased for me. I swear to God. And it would be big. And every month, my one goal, and I know when I achieved this goal, uh, is my one goal was to make sure that you bought more parts for me than I bought from you. Interesting. Right? And I knew I I succeeded when Doug called me. Doug, you remember Doug, right? Uh Uh-huh. In wholesale, Doug calls me and goes, Luis, what's up? What the hell's going on over there? He's like, you guys got everything. I was like, yes, I did it. I beat Gary. Oh, man. So Luis and I talk about that all the time. You got to have an enemy. Um, That's not even an enemy, but Luis and I talk about that all the time. It's it's one of those things that um, it helps you strive to make sure you have a proper inventory. It's a pride thing. Um, Nobody wants to be the parts manager that is – saying, oh, I'm out of stock of that. I got to go to the other dealer. And then it's another thing when you're calling the other dealer and they're going, ha, they, they're buying more parts from us. Suckers. Yeah, thank you for the volume purchase discounts that you, you know, because you're buying from me, right? I mean, or you're helping me hit my bonus. You're welcome. Okay, you're so welcome. you want to hear something funny because I call Luis and I'm like, hey, bro, like why we need to just share parts together. Why are we charging each other a markup? Let Chuck and those guys do that. Why don't you and I, we have a good relationship. And, and he's over there going, I got this month now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's share. You can you, buy all oh, the parts uh, you want, baby. Come on. And, and we do that. We, I mean, we do that currently with a couple of our dealers. We say, you know what? I'll do it at cost for you. Yeah. I mean, because we, we talk about that. You want to buy all the parts for me? Please buy them. And I will sell them to you at cost. And parts managers probably listening right now. GMs are going, <laughs> what are you doing? And their necks are tweaking. And I'm thinking, you're giving me all your customers' demands. Yeah. You buy that part from me, and you just created an extra demand that I can now record. Think about it. Do, it. do you think Jeff Bezos from Am- from Amazon wouldn't love to know, or actually vice versa, right? Because they're they're the big dog in, in data analytics and, and all that stuff. So you don't think Walmart would want to know what Jeff Bezos knows? Well, right? Jeff Bezos wants to know what Walmart knows. That's why he bought Whole Foods. He buy Whole Foods because he loves Whole Foods and thinks it's a great business. They're barely making any money. He bought them because he wants the customers. He That's wants it. the data. He wants to know. That's it. That's all I wanted. I wanted your demands. I wanted everybody's demands. Yeah. So if I'm that. buying part, you know, you know what I need. What Feed my, my beast. For. Feed my beast because yeah. your demand plus my stuff. demand. That's complex. That's that's pretty high level thinking. 
All right, guys. So I'm going to review real quick. We started seven deadly sins, special order process. Number one, bin locations, you know, make sure that your locations are right. That makes sense. You don't have some crazy locations. They're, they're logical. They flow. Dead end bins. You don't want to have a bin that ends on a wall. It becomes a catch all and it's super inefficient. Negative on hand. We, I think we agree to disagree. If I can, if I can say that. Yeah, to negative on hand or not. I, to I didn't change your mind. You didn't change. You my know, mind you did now. mine a little. A little. All I right. will say a little. I made. I not mine a bit. You know, <laughs> not, you made some valid not points. Not he he, he no, 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 I'm sorry. You made he, some valid points, but I'm still coward. The other way. <laughs> wow. All right, negative on hand. We made some inroads there. We we actually we bridged some gaps. Wholesale prices. I think we we uh, talked about that. That's number five. Number six is organization. So good clean parts department well organized stuff goes where it goes fits where it goes it looks right we were talking about that it's just got to have that factor where it looks like it belongs there if it doesn't then you need to rethink uh your shelving and how you have everything going on and then uh seventh and certainly not last emergency purchases which to me defines a well-run parts department if you're running around buying parts it's super expensive super inefficient labor intensive and you're not going to make any money doing that. You got to have your part on the shelf. Don. Well, and also when you go to do inventory and your inventory comes in your company that counts it. Yeah. And they're blown away how you have it set up. And I have 30,000 square feet and it's counted in four hours. Yeah. They're. I've never experienced that. So they walk in at eight and they're all walking out at noon. Yeah, never experienced that. All right, so that's going to be a wrap for this episode of Hard Shop Life. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. Hopefully, we didn't bore the pants off of all the service guys out there. But here's the thing. The, a lot of these things have to do with you guys and us all working together, special order parts, emergency purchases, negative on ham, clean, organization. All those things are all of us working together. And uh, and that's the only way that this thing works. It's, it's, a, it's a synergistic relationship between parts and service. And without each other, we don't exist. And so we all have to remember that we are in this boat together, right? We succeed and fail together. So uh, hopefully you listen with that intent and try to understand what's happening on the other side of that counter. Now, if you're listening to this, we appreciate it. If you're one of the almost 4,000 subscribers or, or downloads and it continues to grow. So we, as as Coach Jay likes to put it, we are trending and moving up. We appreciate you, but don't forget to subscribe because this is where you get notified when new content comes out. We try to release something every week. If we don't get to it, um, we'll release it uh, the next week for sure. And you want to make sure that you get notified when new stuff comes out. We're, we're doing a new series now. We just did five and uh, we're going to do a few more next week where we're interviewing service advisors. And I think this is going to be really, really good stuff for you guys. We're going to get into the heads of some of the greatest service advisors on the face of this planet. We're going to talk to them about their tips, their tricks, and uh, and how they help their customers, help their dealerships make money, and uh, help keep the heat off the service manager's back. So I think it's going to be really, really good stuff. So we got that coming at you. Uh, we're still doing the book reports. We got a couple more of those going to be released in the next couple of weeks. So just tons and tons of content we're all bringing to you guys free of charge just to give back to this business has been so special and given so much to us. So again, thanks for tuning into Hard Shop Life and we'll see you guys next time.